everyone. Welcome to episode number 33 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and I've got Christian Thibodeau joining me today. And Christian, it's his first time appearing on the rebranded reboot. He's used to it being the fittest devil where he's been uh, a guest before, but it's, uh, it's great to steal an hour of Christian's time on the weekend, uh, you know, away from his family. I feel terrible, but it, uh, it was really important. I got you on here and I'm grateful that this worked out. So it's great to have you back, buddy. Dude, with, with, with two kids like, and my wife's breastfeeding, taking one hour of my day is awesome. I mean, it, it gives me, a, I, I was at the grocery store yesterday, actually. And like the lines were packed, man. And we were two guys arriving at the same time at the last line that's like moderately tolerable in length. And I, I let him pass. I said, dude, I think that you were here before me. Said, dude, the longer I can wait here, the more of a break I get. <laughs> I hope your your wife doesn't listen to these podcasts. She doesn't speak English. I'm good. Oh, they, they're, they're, you're safe. That's wonderful, right? Anyway, so for anyone who, you know, is not super familiar with you, obviously, so you're a French Canadian, you're in Quebec. Yeah. yeah. And you are a longtime uh, fitness writer, strength and conditioning coach, uh, presenter. Uh, mm-hmm. And you've been T Nation's pretty much flagship guy for a really long time, too. 21 years, I think. 21 or 22 years. It's been a long time. I mean, I've been on there for a little over two. So it's still very surreal to, you know, you know, share that distinction with people like you, you who I've been reading for a decade, at the very least. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's really cool to get you on here. And of course, one of the things that has been kind of a popular topic with uh, with a lot of my guests is just how you've been managing to how did you adjust over the last year? The last 12 months has been very different. You've always had a presence online and an online business, both courses mm-hmm. and, and coaching. But uh, did the last year change anything for you? Create yeah. any directions? I'll just let you go with that. Well, uh, uh, first, I want to say that, like, and I'm going to sound like a real asshole, but for me, it's actually been not much of a change, at least, like, uh, from a personal standpoint. Uh, I've been socially distancing for 44 years. Uh, I'm an extremely antisocial person. I don't like humans in general, uh, except those who love training. So, so that, that, that's like my one thing. But seriously, though, I, I, I'm not someone who go out a lot. And if anything, because in Quebec, we have massive restrictions, like we can't even have people at our house, uh, actually gain because now my in-laws don't visit anymore. So I'm good, man. It's, it's been awesome. <laughs> but seriously, I also have a, like, a pretty solid home gym. So my, my own training has not been affected. And, and the cool thing with that is, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. And I used to be the, 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 the big guy and strong guy whenever I, whenever I, w- I would go. And, of course, then I, I focused on golf, lost a bunch of size. I uh, was, uh, was health issue for a while, also lost some size. Now I'm regaining. But the cool thing is that I, I can get a head start over everybody else in Quebec because the gyms have been closed for like a year. So I, I'm and now I'm, I'm relatively speaking bigger than everybody else again, not because I'm getting bigger because they're getting smaller. So psychologically it helps. Uh, from a business standpoint, the, the timing was actually not bad for me because I had transitioned more from my role of a, a, as a coach or trainer uh, into more of an educational role. So I was already doing most of my business online. I, my, my, most of my clients are also distance clients, online coaching. Uh, I think the biggest difference with me was the lack of seminars. I mean, a big part of my business was speaking in various countries. 
And of course, with a travel ban and we can't travel and whatever. So, so that's a huge chunk of my business that went away. So we had to transition to online webinars. Uh, so of course, it's not the same money because I mean, nobody's going to pay uh, $1,000 to hear you talk for two hours on Zoom. Otherwise, you can sell those podcasts and be a millionaire. Uh, but still, it, it allowed me <clears throat> to keep some money coming in and keep my name relevant and also keep my presentation skills uh, sharp. And I've been enjoying it. Anyway, with the birth of my second kid, I would have probably stopped seminars for about six months anyway. So I'm literally like the worst person to ask that question because I didn't have to make many changes. And oddly enough, I noticed that even though gyms were closed in many countries, still are in some, my, uh, my program sales didn't go down. In fact, they went up. So, and uh, I actually had to stop online coaching for a while or stop taking new clients because I couldn't handle the workload with the, with the new kid. And I'm, Starting, I'm starting to open spots again in three weeks. So probably at the same time as this podcast goes on. Uh, but but oh, it's, I'm, throw, it's, I'm throwing this thing up right away. This will be up in like three right. days. So awesome, good to know. But anyway, so so yeah, that the online coaching will probably get a boost eventually. But uh, because of my uh, my own schedule, I couldn't push it as hard as I wanted to. But, but honestly, it, it's been good, man. I mean, uh, I, I, I feel the pain because I'm still in contact with tons of uh, real-life coaches. And these are guys that lost the majority of their income. And you, you can see some of them reinventing themselves as online trainers. But here's the thing, and I'm sure you know this. Coaching people online is a totally different skill set than coaching people in the gym. Just because you're a good trainer in the gym doesn't mean you can be a good coach online. Here's what I'm my experience. Online coaching, online coaching requires a lot more structure, a lot more discipline, and being a lot more organized. I mean, you could do like the, the bullshit volume online coaching that you see people doing, like they sell the same copy and paste program to everybody else, answer a question once a week. To me, that's not online coaching. It's selling a program with some support. But through online coaching, like building the program for the client, keeping them accountable, daily check-in, uh, it's, it's impossible to do that if you're not structured because most clients don't have the discipline to keep up with those daily reports or at least weekly progress reports, sending you pictures, sending you videos of their exercises, because that's the thing. It's one thing to do the program. You want the exercises to be done well. For example, daily, I have several clients. They will send me videos of every single exercise they do. And if I don't have so, and I, I will look at, okay, is the form good? Is the form not good? They have to send me the workout sheet and with two number, three numbers on it body weight, uh, how they felt on a scale of 10 at the beginning of the day, like during the early portion of the day before training, and how they, uh, their uh, subjective evaluation of how good their workout was. If I can, if I, because I've, I've talked to many coaches over the years, and we agree that how the athlete perceived the quality of his workout to be as well as how they perceived how well they felt 
are better measures of potential overtraining, overstress, uh, than measure like heart, heart rate variability or something like that, because, because it can fluctuate. So anyway, and not every athlete can use HRV and not every coach has the capacity to uh, adjust or, or evaluate, assess those numbers properly. So I have these numbers. If I, my goal is to get an athlete stronger or bigger, if the weight's not going up, or if there's a sudden drop in weight, because it will always happen. I mean, I can have this football player, Every time his body weight drops by three pounds, he has three shitty workouts in a row. Always. It's a pattern. And because it indicates that his nervous system stays in sympathetic mode way too often. His adrenaline stays high. His cortisol stays high. So he can't uh, get enough sleep. He can't recover. Body weight will go down. Oftentimes, just dehydration. Uh, but still, it, it goes down and he starts to feel like shit two days afterwards. And he has poor workouts after that. So, so you need that, that's the skill of an online coach. You need to ask many information of your clients. You need to evaluate that. I see tons of coaches. They might ask these things, but they don't do anything when it comes to modifying the program based on that information. And also, you need to be able to get the information out of your client. Because most of them will not tell you if they're, they don't like an exercise. They won't tell you that they're not feeling something properly. So you just need to be, just by looking at a video, knowing if the exercise is doing its job. You need to evaluate body proportion to make the best possible exercise selection. Stuff like These that. These are all things that we do when we're coaching people in person. Absolutely. We talk to them when they come in and client tells you, well, hey, I'm not feeling so great. I had one mm -hmm. of my guys, you know, he's 70 and he just got his first uh, vaccine shot. Mm -hmm. And so he let me know that, hey, you know, his shoulder is feeling, you know, a little tired. So we kept that one a lower body workout, whereas normally he gets more of a full body training stimulus, mm -hmm. little things like that. And you would get that real time information about how they're feeling through conversation or asking those questions. And a lot of what you language also. Yeah, is this is really just being able to recreate a lot of the stuff you can do in an in-person experience, which adds the quality and the depth of the the the, the relationship and the experience to the online format. And what you just described, like I'm not a big fan of the idea of high volume programs, like you know, just a template for a lot of people. Yeah. I believe some coaches can pull it off. I do, but here's the problem: you are also positioning yourself as a low quality entry level mass mm. program option. And I mentor some trainers and this has come up and I don't think it's necessarily where a lot of people want to go. Um, I know Brett Contreras does something very similar to this. So Brett is able to pull out his booty by Brett stuff. And I know the way that Brett scales that. And in, in general, I, I think Brett is able to pull it off and make it work for what he's offering people. But I think a lot of other coaches, uh, you know, I, I just don't think it's necessarily a great road to go. I don't advertise my online coaching. I keep a limited number of clients. I want to serve them really well. I have a very full roster of in-person clients. I've been working all year um, pretty steadily. You know, I'm writing. So I only have a limited amount of time to make sure I'm doing a killer job with my online people. Mm -hmm. And each one I onboard, I have to create the program. I have to, to chat with them, you know, meet with them on Zoom. And I got a lot of depth to go into and then make sure that first week goes really smoothly as they're make sure they're uploading the videos, make sure they're giving me the information I need to be able to make those adjustments. Yeah. And you can't do that with five to eight new people a week. Impossible. You can't do that with a lot of people no. outside of a, like PJ street, who also writes for teenation with us. Yeah. He, I think he probably has a stable of maybe about a hundred online clients. I couldn't do that. 
I couldn't do it. But PJ makes it very personal. I had an old podcast with him. If anyone wants to go back and listen, and his tagline is making online more personal than personal training, but he's working super full time. Forget this idea of like living on the beach in another country or all this sort of influencer crap. If you're going to be really successful as an online coach, you really do have to invest yourself very aggressively in you know, each client relationship, it's, it's not an excuse just to, here's the program, like you said, just giving a program and then a once a week check it. No, that's not, that's not how it works. So from my, from my experience, when you look at numbers, once you reach, I want to say 30, a, a 30 online client, it's a 40 hours a week job, uh, roughly. I mean, if you do a good job, it's not like 40 hours straight because it will, like some days you might work 12 hours uh, when you're pl planning all the workouts, the diet, stuff like that. But if you do it a, a proper job, 30, maybe some people work faster, up to 50 clients would be a full-time job. So if you work, if you want to achieve bigger numbers than that, you will work overtime. You will work a lot. So you might have, personally, I, I'm, I'm hiring coaches if I want to have my numbers higher. So I still supervise the whole process. Uh, clients will still have access to me in a, in a private Facebook group, but they also have their own personal trainer, personal coach. Uh, one is uh, actually Thomas Shepard, who, who started writing for T-Nation. Uh, Thomas is a world-class powerlifter. He's a client of mine. He's been a client of mine for, what, four years. So he's, I, I brought him up in my system. Uh, and you will start taking clients in about two weeks when I, I, pro, I put out my uh, updated online coaching service. I also had another coach who worked for me for 13 years, but there's personally like me because of my, my family time, because of my running the business, uh, doing seminars or webinars, creating our education, stuff like that to do a really good job up to my standards, 10 to 15 clients is what I take on personally. But that's what people need to realize. Uh, what you take for granted when you coach in the gym you have to, as you mentioned, recreate it to be efficient. And that's where the discipline part come in, that you, you need to have a process, an onboarding. You need to have a, a schedule where you, where you have all your client's name and this is my checkout. When is the program due? I mean, you cannot rely on a client to set the schedule. You have to set the schedule for yourself. And it's, it's a lot harder to do online coaching than in-person coaching, especially from the motivational standpoint. People don't realize that motivation it is the probably the most important portion of coaching. And I'm not talking about being a cheerleader. I'm not a cheerleader. In fact, like my my biggest uh, comment, the biggest uh, uh, praise I can give a client is it's less bad. That's like my, my my top of the shelf. But but you do need to find a way to make that client work hard. And when you're in person. You can rely on your own personal energy. You can rely on your body language, your reaction, seeing the, the client's body language and adapting your interventions based on what you're seeing. But how can you do that when you're in front of a screen? You need to find other ways. You need to send them articles. You need to send them snippet. You need to send them, yeah, even I, I've sent studies to clients. See, that's exactly what I told you last week. You got to make them trust the process because here's the thing. A few years back when I was working in St. Louis, when I arrived at the center, the guy who was in charge of the trainers, uh, Andre Benoit, who also lived in Calgary for a while, uh, Andre, former Olympian, worked for Charles Polican. Uh, Andre was in charge of the trainers there. And he asked me right off the bat, Christian, what is the most important thing for a client to get results? Now, context here, 
I had already been, already been working for Key Nation for like 20, 12 years, written two books, trained pro athletes. I really thought I knew my shit. So I gave him the smart ass answer, like the Christian Thibodeau, the writer answer. Well, it's a selection of the best exercises to respect the client's individual biomechanics, levers and stuff like that to make sure that you will get the proper stimulation in the right muscles. And you look at me and say, well, no, it's okay. It must be the right selection of the training methods to make sure that the stimulus is what will cause the greatest physiological adaptation based on the client's needs and capacity. And Andre told me in French, which is actually much more colorful than English because we have a lot more swear words, the equivalent would be, uh, Christian, what the fuck are you talking about? Have you ever trained a fucking client in your life? Okay. Dude, what is the most important thing for a client to get results? said, Christian, the client needs to be motivated by what he's doing and trust the coach 100%. Regardless of the quality of the program, if the client doesn't trust you, 100%, he will look at Instagram for advice. He will read an article. Then he will start doubting what you're doing. Well, yeah, but I saw Chris Duffin saying that you shouldn't squat that way. Uh, yeah, and Wendler told me that you should train bench, squat, deadlift, and press on different days. Who's right? And then from that point on, it's a slippery slope downward. I saw glute girl 244 do this amazing glutes exercise. Can we do it? The moment you relinquish control of the programming is the moment you lose your effectiveness as a trainer. So, but so the only way to prevent that, because you can't block the internet for your client, is to get them to trust you so much. And trust the process so much, they don't feel the need to look elsewhere. I mean, if you have a very successful marriage, your, your, your sex life is great. You, it, it, she's your best friend. There's no need to go look elsewhere, right? And the same um, thing. The, one of the examples I always use about trust, because I, I love this concept, is if you have a client who comes to you and is starting to ask questions about a keto diet. Well, first of all, if they're asking about keto diet, you better assume mm-hmm. that they're already doing it. Yeah. And they have someone in their family or immediate life who is pressuring them to do it because those type of people tend to proselytize and preach and push it like a religion on those around them to validate their own choice of of diets like this. Now, I am fine with someone doing a keto diet if it's suited to them. So you have two choices as a trainer. One, you can turn around and immediately say to your client, that's fucking stupid. Don't do keto. This is what's wrong with keto. Now, if the client's already doing keto, you've now broken trust with them. They feel stupid. The second answer is, okay, great. Awesome. Tell me more about what's going on. Um, let's, I'm going to support you through this. Here's a little bit of valuable information about keto. You know, once they're bought in and they, they trust you, you can then share with them. All right. These are some common myths about keto. This like being in ketogenesis. This isn't what it's really about. It's still about calorie balance. Let's try it. Let's see how it works for you. And if, and when it doesn't work out very well, you're there as part of the process to help get that client back on track and they trust you to take them through the next phase of things. Absolutely. And regarding the keto, I mean, one point, I mean, that's that's going off base a bit. The thing with those extremist diets, like keto, vegan, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, it's that those who become preachers, as you mentioned, they really make the diet a part of their identity. Identity. And that's the problem because once you, once it's part of your identity, I mean, once you put keto on your Instagram profile, it's part of your identity, right? 
And when you quote unquote attack keto, that person for that person, it's exactly the same as if you are attacking them as a person, you're, you're attacking their identity. So they actually stop being rational completely. And that's the thing. You cannot convince someone whose opinion is based largely on emotions and on being part of their identity with facts. In fact, the, the better case you make, the better your arguments are, the more they are supported by facts, the more defensive they become because you're, you're actually like you're finding a cinch in their armor. So they, they, they become fight or flight mode, adrenaline spike, and they will fight you to death. You actually see that with uh, social justice warriors just as well. I mean, they create an identity based on defending a cause. And they, for them, being quote unquote morally superior is part of their identity. And for example, let's take a, 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 like a simple issue, okay? Trans gender athletes, like trans women competing with women, okay? Even if you tell them all the facts that even once you're past, if you, if you add your, your, your puberty as a male, you will have life lasting advantages. Even after you have testosterone suppression therapy, you will still have long lasting advantages over natural born women. And because of that, you will have an aesthetic advantage. That's undeniable. It's scientifically proven. I mean, uh, skull, for example, skull thickness is much more important male. It reduces the risk of concussion. You look at female soccer player, a much higher rate of, of concussions. Neck, neck muscle, trap muscle, all the absolutely, yeah. just Absolutely. Wider body, larger body, more muscle mass, even after testosterone suppression, higher ratio of fast switch fibers. Um, you also have bigger heart capacity, bigger uh, possibility to transport oxygen, bigger lungs. Uh, you have the pelvic angle that gives you a more advantageous position to run, less stressful on the knees, less stressful on the ankles. Mm. Uh, so they, there is an undeniable advantage. You even have studies showing that women have a higher cortisol adrenaline response to training stress than men. Mm. So, so there is an advantage, it's undeniable. But if you present those facts to someone whose identity is, I'm the defender of everything, everything that's unjust, I'm morally superior, then presenting facts is actually an attack on their identity and they will fight you to death. The moment they revert, they revert back to personal attacks or calling you a white supremacist or a racist, you know you actually won the argument because they feel attacked. It's, it's just like when you're married, right? I mean, that's one thing I realized. So when you argue with your wife, for example, the moment she changes topic and attacks you on something else you did, you won the argument. I mean, don't, don't try to fight her on the new ground. Just accept your win and walk back. I'm going to throw a couple of things out there too that are important piece of context for especially what you just said. You are a very, very established coach in the industry. Hmm. I, you know, if anybody, you know, plugs into your social media, whatever, they'll know kind of, you know, your, your leanings, your ideological leanings, and you're not someone who's far right, alt right, but you're also very much not, not the far left. And I'm I an objective person. I'm yeah. an objective, objectivism. That's what and, I'm about. 
And so, but here's an important piece of context because I usually try to stay away from these things on the podcast, but for everybody listening, you're very established, you're very entrenched. You didn't build a reputation as an activist or anyone who spoke on these sort of issues. Being in the place you are, it gives you some latitude now to be able to have those kind of conversations. I think a very significant mistake a lot of emerging trainers make is to, on, on either end of these spectrums, make these issues part of their identity because then the fitness consumer will see you as an activist. And I do not believe you can be an activist and a credible fitness professional at the same time. I have seen a few successful people take on either more towards the left or more towards the right after they're very entrenched and established. That's another thing altogether. But I think it's it's probably a wise thing for most emerging professionals who are trying to still figure out a lot of things about brand, figure out how to do all the work, to be very cautious with these sort of discussions, stay the fuck out of Facebook arguments about it because the amount of stress and distraction and negativity, and quite frankly, you know, you can come under a lot of fire for an opinion that doesn't agree with what, you know, certainly other groups feel. And then, and I don't want to get into this whole conversation about cancel culture, but you don't want to bring that stress upon yourself. So I think for most people, they want to navigate that kind of discussion very carefully. Yeah, and also never forget that in the history of mankind, nobody has ever successfully changed someone's mind with, with a Facebook argument. It never happens, never will. So if you are absolutely in like a need, physiological need to get into an argument on Facebook, the only thing that can actually make this into somewhat of a positive is if you come out looking like the good guy. Mm. I mean, the, the, the guy who's reasonable like me, okay, and I'm not left-leaning, I'm not right-leaning. On some issues, I'm left-leaning. On some issues, I'm right-leaning. I mean, I, I absolutely believe that people who are in need, for example, who can't work a full-time job, they need all the support they should get. I do believe that some people should have free healthcare. I do believe that they, have, they should have government support. However, I'm against giving that support to anybody who asks for it if they are capable of doing a job properly, for example. So that, that's why I'm, I'm also pro uh, equality of chances. I mean, everybody should be afforded the same chances to make the best out of their life. But I'm, not, I'm against free handouts to balance things out if someone did not make the effort to take advantage of uh, the chances they were given. So that, that's why I'm, I, I'm saying I'm an objectivist. Yeah. But because of that, when I get into an argument, normally I don't get into a political argument because it's pointless. But yeah. if I get into an argument regarding training, uh, I'm always able to see both sides of the argument. And even someone who has an argument that is exactly opposite to yours, he will always have some good points. And the answer is always somewhere in the middle, always. And I'm not afraid to say that I'm, I'm wrong. That's why I'm pretty well liked in the industry because I'm not afraid to change my mind if somebody proves me wrong. I mean, uh, recently I had a, a, an online quote unquote argument with Lyle McDonald, who you might know. And, and Lyle, has been, <laughs> Lyle has been on my back for a while. Lyle is and one I, of the few people I have no time for. He yeah. didn't know who I was, saw something of mine that someone else shared. And Lyle came in with a scathing attack and said something judgmental 
And in typical Lyle fashion, and this is aggressive. I am very, very clear in not judging someone based on one action. But if you have an entire industry, I mean, he's accused people like James Krieger and Greg Knuckles and all these guys of pretty much academic fraud. You know, and Mike Isertel really tore up a part of that episode here. And I really don't speak this way. Lyle's an asshole who I will never put on my podcast. I have no time for shit. And I refuse to support him in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. He's an irrelevant person in the industry who does harm to himself through his attitude and his behavior and the way he treats people. And I have no time for him. The problem is he's actually a super smart guy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we, we really got along fine like, like 20 years ago. Uh, we would have this, he was doing like speed skating. I would help him with that. I was uh, dieting down for a, a TV role. He helped me with that. Uh, but then he became like, I became the target of his, his aggression. And, and I always said, you know what, dude, I really respect you. But when you argue, you actually, I, mean, I actually told him exactly what you said. You are actually hurting your capacity to make a point. So anyway, we, we got into a fight and, and you know, it, it was about the Mike Israel situation. And I was actually able to say, well, you know what, Lyle, you have a point. I made a mistake. I don't want to engage much more with him, but, but he was right in that regard because he's a smart guy. But that is a good example of if you become an extremist in some regard. I mean, it, it's not so much of an extremism in, in his beliefs, but extremism in the way he handles critiques and how he attacks people. It's always the same thing. And you are absolutely correct. The guy 20 years ago was one of the stars of the fitness industry especially on the nutritional side of things. The guy is a genius. However, because of his attitude, because of his interaction online with people, it actually prevented him from being, the guy would be a superstar. It would be like Lane Norton of nutrition. If he had a positive attitude, but you can't change who you are, right? You can can only like try to be the best version of yourself but you cannot change who you are. And, it, and it's sad in a way that he, he basically attacked everybody in the industry. And the guys who are credible, and you might not always agree with, I don't agree with Mike on everything, but he's, most of the points he make are valid and he has success. So you know what? Success leaves clues. You can't be 100% wrong if you're getting results. Right. And, you know, him and his team have scaled up Renaissance periodization. They've done really well. And something that I can, you know, in the context of our conversation, when Mike discusses things with people, he tends to be extremely conscientious and thoughtful and respectful. And he will, he doesn't argue for the sake of arguing. He's very, he keeps his skills sharp. He he wants that on a podcast, you know, to engage in such discussions. He's one of the few people that I genuinely believe is truly successful who will also participate in these discussions on social media. Greg Knuckles is another one, Um, but there are not many that do this. So I I try to encourage coaches don't fall into these, these sinkholes, these time uh, and energy distractions um, away from the things that you're trying to accomplish. If you're listening to a podcast like this, you obviously care about building your career and helping your clients. And I just don't think those are particularly good uses of your time. And then the second thing, it just echoes your point, is don't be an asshole to the people that disagree with you or, or who have questions who or who do not just kneel before your altar and you know just sycophantically bow to everything you say. You know, I, I value people who are critical thinkers far more. I mean, kindness and support and, and all that positive stuff is wonderful. But, uh, you know, if someone just doesn't agree with everything you say, 
thoughtfully engage with them to a point and then move on and get back to the things that matter to you most. If you, if you can't handle critiques or divergent viewpoints, don't get into this business because for good or bad, if you want to be a successful, really successful trainer, you will have to have a social media prison presence now. And that means you will have haters. You will have people who disagree with you. Again, a lot of times because they make a different training system part of their identity. For example, let's say I make a post. And to me, I strongly believe that the three best training splits for most people are a whole body split, uh, an upper lower split, and a push-pull split. So, so th that's, to me, these are the three best ways for most people to train. But if someone has, is a strong follower of a body part guy, for example, he might actually feel attacked. The, the guy who promotes the body part split, normally he will not feel attacked because he has trust enough in his, in, in his worth, he, he has success, but it's the guys who are underneath who see him as God that will attack others for him because they make it part of their identity once again to be a follower of Jim Wender, a follower of Christian Thibodeau. One thing I always say during seminars, that's the first thing I say, in the seminar, I will present you what I do. It's what I found to work with me, with the athlete I'm working with, my system. It's not the only way to do things. It might not even be the best way. I do not want you to blindly apply what I'm telling you. I want you put, to put it into context with what you are already doing, what you know, and find a way to integrate it, the part of it that you think will better your system. The last thing I want is to have many Thibodeaux running around. Uh, I, I want to help people out. And if you look at the stuff I'm writing, I don't have an underlying ideology. It changes pretty much every month because I want to understand how the body works. And here comes the, th comes the thing where you don't want to be so aggressive with someone that you completely burn that bridge because you never know who will be in a position to help you out in the future. It might not even be a top guy yet. I remember a personal story. I was still in college. And I was working uh, at this um, podiatrist guy. That was my uh, part-time job. And he, a, a, a personal trainer worked with him to give rehab programs to his clients. And the guy was uh, uh, high up in the polykin hierarchy. Anyway, he, he hired me to do drawings for his book. But after several things, he refused to pay me. And I, I asked for the drawings back. He said, well, you will never do anything in this business. I will talk to Charles about you. I will ruin you. And you know what? A few years later, I'm in a, a Charles Spolican seminars. And he obviously knows my name because he's looking at me like I'm the devil. But after the whole thing, we were best friends or not best friends, but we were friends. And that guy, the guy who like backstabbed me, actually emailed me. <laughs> A few years later, asking me to coach him on the Olympic lifts and to show him how to use chains and bends properly. I say, dude, you don't remember what you did to me, right? So what are you talking about? Dude, 10 years ago, you literally said that you would kill my career. I didn't do that. Yes, you did. People tend to forget what they do in the heat of passion. But it, for the person, I mean, I was, it's funny. I, I was, when I, uh, I, I, um, 
when I got with Paul Carter a few years ago, when we decided to write the book together, we actually like started talking on Facebook. Uh, the reason why we started talking on Facebook was that Polikin and Klokov were coming to Montreal to give a seminar. And the guy invited me, the guy invited Paul. And Paul sent me a message, Tim, is it okay if I show up? I said, why wouldn't it be okay? Well, we got into this big fight five years ago. I said, what the fuck do you mean? Well, I asked you what your body weight was and you freaked out on me. I freaked out on him because see, I thought that he was disrespecting me, which was stupid. I mean, I was super insecure back then. But you remember that. I didn't. When you blow up a gasket on someone, you don't remember it because you're in the heat of passion. But the guy you talk to, it, he, remembers, he remembers it. Anyway, it turned out well because we, we joked around and we wrote a book together and we're still friends. He actually helped me with my training yesterday, as early as this yesterday. But be careful what you do in the heat of passion. Whatever it is, arguing with someone, posting a political opinion, an opinion on the COVID situation, because what you do in the heat of passion can have long lasting impact. That's why I say I'm, a, I'm an objectivist. When I write something, it's always based on my objective view of the facts. I have a, a strong belief of this and maybe someone listening might be ruffled by it a bit, but I believe that people who relentlessly post political and social things lack the impulse control not to put something out there that is going to end up pissing people off. And I think some of them justify it because they believe they're on the moral high ground, but it can be just as damaging your to, to your career, you know, on that moral, moral high ground as, as it could be on something that's politically incorrect. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, your example about, I like this a lot. I, I like to encourage coaches to look around them at the people who are on the same journey. Don't try to necessarily curry the favor of, you know, like someone like yourself who's really, really well established in the industry. Um, engage with what you're doing, but you know, the people around you are going places. And like you said, you don't know where someone's going to end up or how successful they're going to be. There have been a lot of people who've met me along the way, you know, before I was doing anything of noteworthiness out in the industry. And honestly, most everybody was really nice. And so a lot of people have watched as, you know, I'm writing for more and more big publications and you know, the podcast has been successful and, and now I'm hosting a conference and, you know, you and I have had, you know, I've had you on the podcast and we've always had great interactions. I've had you on Facebook. There's certainly never been any contentious or argumentative stuff, but, you know, last year before COVID wiped it out, you know, I had the opportunity to invite you as one of my presenters at uh, my conference. And guess what? When we get the world back open again and we can do it, you're going to be tops on my list. If it works in your schedule with your family life. I want to bring you out to Edmonton and, and have you back in that lineup. I look forward to that. That'll be fun. You better make sure you're jacked as fucking hell because <laughs> when we're standing next to you, what's I'm that? Strong. I'm strong again. So you're strong again. We're going to be standing next to each other on a stage, right? So yeah, but I'm going to wear high heels. So I'm good. <laughs> Fair enough. The height, yeah. the height and width. I mean, I, I, we have the, we have the structure we have, right? We can just, we're just going to bring a squat stand to stage and, and I'm going to be fine. Exactly. Good. Um, there's a couple of other things that I, I sort of wanted to dabble in real quick while I've got, what have I got? Yeah, another like 15 minutes. Uh, forgive the dog barking outside if you guys can hear that. Um, you've alluded to hiring coaches and obviously some of the long-term stuff. You've got a couple of young kids now. At what point, 
what does the future sort of hold? Is there anything you've envisioned? You've obviously worked hard to put yourself in a position to take advantage of options as they, opportunities as they arise. But was there any critical juncture where you decided, wait a second, I don't want to work as much on the, on the gym floor or some sort of inspiration for a future direction for your business? Yes. Actually, it was, to be honest, more uh, family related than anything. And, and in fact, it wasn't even family related. It was personal relationship related. Uh, the way, it, because of my own personality, uh, I'm someone who has naturally low level of self-esteem and it's genetic. I've always had low self-esteem, even growing, growing up as a kid, even though I was successful in sport, had plenty of success, had plenty of friends, smart in school, great parents. I was always uh, self-conscious and had low self-esteem. That's why I actually became interested in training in the first place. Uh, and I, I always saw myself as weak because I always, and that's why I don't really get into fights. I will always find a way to kind of agree with everybody. Okay. But, and I saw that as a great, great weakness and it probably is, but it comes with my skill set of being able to modulate my behavior for the situation at hand. My greatest skill as a coach, the two greatest skills I had as a coach was acting in a way to get the most of that client. And then with the next client, I would change my personality instinctively to give them what they need. And I think the best personal personal trainers are like that. The best trained coaches are not like that. The best trained coaches are, they, they are those alpha male, who, like, I am who I am, and you just deal with it, like strong personality, like a Pollockian type guy. Uh, whereas with personal trainers, you have to deal with so many different types of people that you cannot have be supremely successful if you are that alpha male, like drill sergeant type, because not many people will actually respond well to that. Anyway, so that was my first skill set. The second skill set is I was great at reading body language and adapting the daily workout based on what I was seeing on my client. Of course, that's what makes online coaching more challenging to me because I can't, I can't see that. So anyway, the thing is that changing your personality with every client that comes in comes at a cost. It, it drains you. It's, it's essentially like you're an actor playing 10 different roles in one day. It's, it's hard, man. And I would come home and I would be completely drained. And because of that, I was a total asshole to my wife. Uh, I had no energy for any social activities. My sex life was, was shit because I was too drained to want it. Uh, nowadays, I want it too much, but that's a different story. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so, so it, it just drained me too much. I had no, I was super unhappy. I was good, good at my job, but being good at my job required for me to drain my life energy. Yeah, I figured I'd snap up a selfie there. Um, you also, I mean, you've alluded to very heavily, you're very, very introverted. I mean, people have this idea that introversion, extroversion is a static, very, very, like, that's what I'm looking for, dichotomous thing when in fact, you know, you can be different in different situations. Anyone listening to you here, you're quite gregarious when you, you get on, on this media. And you've also spoken before about the fact that you are on the autistic spectrum, right? And a lot of people would not even have guessed that given, you know, everything. So you, but I also think that's probably a little bit more common amongst some of the really brilliant people in the fitness industry. I mean, I privately just did a 
you know, session uh, with Greg Knuckles, just one-on-one -on -one at a conference. I mean, Greg himself is sitting down and having a beer and he's said that he probably is on the spectrum. So don't misquote me on that or whatever, but Greg himself figures he's probably on there somewhere, right? And I suspect there are some other people as well who, um, there's another guy in the industry, Dave Delanave, who's quite out there, yeah. but he's on the autistic we spectrum. The ones together. Yeah, so I don't think it's necessarily that uncommon. And, uh, but either way, just to your point, you know, you would be very, very drained by a lot of interaction. I am probably, I would score very, very high on extroversion Yes. Um, in yes. in terms of my ability, uh, you know, in, in and around people. And I get home at the end of the day and I, I can be pretty drained, but I work, you know, I can easily train 10 clients in an 11 hour day, no problem, four days a week, and then five to six hours on the other three. I like working a lot. I like being around people. You also have to know who you are and what you can handle within your schedule and then adjust your career to what you need. A lot of the people that I know in the industry, I mean, shit, the first year we pulled off the conference, I kind of realized that shit, all my partners in this conference, Dean Somerset being one of them, my friend Hannah Gray and, and so on and so forth. And half of the speakers, if not more, Lee Boyce, Greg Knuckles, Lee Peel, Megan Calloway, all highly introverted personalities. So of course I end up being very much like me, like Lee Boyce. We yeah. are amazingly similar. It's funny because what, totally. what we meet, it's basically like, well, we, first of all, we look exactly the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, we are extremely similar. I mean, the, the few times I met him. And that's why it's both fun and uncomfortable. Because <laughs> like you have all your own weaknesses reflected upon you. Uh, I get to, you know, Lee was part of our first one, right? And, uh, you know, got to hang out with him a lot. And Lee's great. We've become very good friends. But yeah, he's a pretty introverted personality. And so... Of course, I had to carry the, the the load of being the person shaking hands and introducing people and, you know, and, and just going around, interact with everyone and trying to like bring nervous participants over to shake Greg's hand or Lee's hand and introduce them all and just break the ice for them all. And at the end of the weekend, I crashed. I actually like was good all weekend. And I all of a sudden noticed on Sunday at six o'clock. I'm like, I don't feel so well. So I went home and I had a really bad, I don't know if I got a flu or something or a cold, but I, I was pretty wiped out for, for a few days to say the least back um, in late 2019, but uh, off track on that one. So the future, anything else interesting that the future holds for you in your career direction? Something that you're, you're trying to establish? Well, I, I'm really hopeful to have uh, seminars running again uh, because that, it, it, even though I, I, I'm not comfortable being around people for a long time, there's nothing better for me than giving a seminar. And I have my theory about that. I mean, people ask me, well, how can you be introverted and have social anxiety and be great in front of a crowd? Well, it's pretty simple. I understood why I had social anxiety. And for me, social anxiety comes from two things. First, of course, low self-esteem, but it's more that the, the, that low self-esteem means that I need to feel the approval of others to feel comfortable. For if, we, if I'm in a crowd, like we're all trainers, I'll be super social because I know these people knew who I am and, and they kind of respect me. So I'm, I'm comfortable, okay? Uh, but if I go to a, a family reunion, for example, and there are 60 people, the day before I, would free, I will freak out because you know, there are 60 different people. 
what personality can I do I need to use to be comfortable in that situation? So what always happens, what always happens with me in a family situation, uh, family reunion situation, I will always find one person and I will like follow that person around for the whole thing because I don't have to change my personality. What, what creates anxiety for me is not so much the situation itself. It's the fact that I might need to constantly change my personality and I might get it wrong. Now, when you're presenting in front of a crowd, you only have one person. A crowd is a person. You don't get the feeling that it's 300 different personalities. You're speaking to an audience, not to 300 people. And I'm really comfortable with that. I need adrenaline to function. I'm optimized when I have high adrenaline. I think there's something else for everybody listening to take away from this too. You know, you're an extremely established and, and well-known personality in our industry, well-respected one. And I think virtually everyone here probably knows a lot about who you are. And yet this is how you can still feel in social environments oh. when meeting people. So how many people listening, and I want you to message me if this is your experience, you know, imagine going to a conference and maybe you know a few people, you would feel nervous going up and, and saying hello to speakers and presenters who are people you've been following and reading on social media for a very long time. And if, if Christian Thibodeau can say that that's how you feel, eh, maybe, you know, everybody else isn't so unique or alone in that. And maybe the most important thing you could possibly do would be to take a chance, you know, and again, the person sitting next to you who might be in a very similar place in their career, get to know that person, talk to that person. My first fitness conference ever, 2017, the Kansas City Fitness Summit, I met most of the attendees there. Got a lot of them on Facebook as friends. A lot of them have done very, very well. A lot of them are still people I interact with four years later. And those connections have done wonderful things for my career. And those people have, have seen all the things that I've done. There's a lot of value in those relationships and those networks. There are people in our industry who shit all over the, the use language like the circle jerk of the fitness industry. But I mean, I get what you're saying, because at the end of the day, the end client is still the most important person. But the relationships you have within the industry can be very valuable. It can be great for your continuing education. It can create really cool career opportunities. You know, I'm writing for all these cool publications that have these interesting relationships with companies that either I can talk about, like, you know, doing affiliate work with the Online Trainer Academy, uh, Jonathan Goodman's program. You know, I know Jonathan really well, or things that I can't talk about. I'm literally signed an NDA that I can't discuss projects that I'm working on and it'll all be revealed eventually. And that shit's really fun in large part due to going to these kind of events and not just, you know, treating the, the person next to me like a real person and getting to know them, but also treating the presenters like a real person, interacting, getting to know them. It opens a lot of doors and opportunity for you. And one thing that, that you mentioned, and I really believe that a lot of the presenters are actually like me. I mean, we, we are the two archetypes when it comes to presentation. You are the guy with tons of positive energy, the guy that people want to flock around naturally. And the reason is simple is that people like me, we feed off guys like you. Because basically, okay, people easily change their personality. When they're around someone with a lot of positive energy, they will mimic subconsciously that person. So they, they, And we feel good about it. That's why when it comes to women, I'm always attracted by strong women. Like my wife is a strong woman. That's why we get into argument a lot. But that's why I was attracted to her because it potentiates <laughs> me. But when you knew that. 
So that's one thing. I'm the opposite. I'm more of the, the quiet type. And because of that, I will, before a seminar, for example, I will be alone in the corner and I'm not talking to anybody. You'll probably engage with, with people. Now, it's funny. I remember I was giving a seminar and a guy came up to me before a, like a 12 hour seminar, like a full on presentation. And honest to God, I could barely utter two words. I mean, it, it, it sounded like I couldn't speak English at all, but I'm like that in French too. I just, I can just like put myself in his brain. Dude, I will have to listen to that guy for 12 fucking hours. But once adrenaline gets on, I, I change completely. But the point is that oftentimes people will look at a guy like me and think that I'm, I'm not approachable because I have a close face. I don't, act in a way that I want to engage with someone and they think that I'm just an asshole. I'm just introverted. But guys like me, the introverted guys, once you get them on your side, they will do everything for you because you make them feel good about themselves. And here's a secret. Every single human being on the planet is self-centered. There is no such thing as a truly altruistic guy. We are, all, but, but that doesn't mean that everybody will act in a way or in an egocentric way. We basically act in a way to give our brain what it needs to be happy. Okay. Me, what I need to be happy is to be respected and liked. So I'm afraid of not being respected or liked. So I will not go out myself but if you come up to me and show me interest dude i will latch on to you i will i mean it's funny i was like a, a, a guy sent me a a, a girl sent me a it's always a girl I'm, I'm more friendly with girls especially on the internets because i had my first girlfriend at 22 so i'm kind of trying to make up for it right my wife doesn't speak english so i'm safe <laughs> anyway she, she sent me a message and she had a cortisol issue nutrition issue whatever so, and she basically wanted me to answer an Instagram. So I said, well, just give me your phone number. And I just called her up like two hours ago. And we had like a 40 minutes, 45 minutes conversation. And she was freaking out. Then I sent her like at least 300 pages worth of material I wrote. That just because she showed me respect. Interest. She never asked for anything. But because she showed me respect and she asked me for advice, you know what? I will do anything for that person. Because once I know someone respects me, it makes me feel good about myself. It makes me look like a good guy. Dude, I took 40 minutes of my time, me, the super important coach, to call you up <laughs> and then send you material that most people have to pay to get. Makes me look like a good guy. I'm not doing that because I'm a good guy. I'm doing that because you made me feel good. And me, when I talk to you, and when I send you material, I have this scenario in my brain where, oh, Christian is so amazing and it makes me feel good, self-centered. That's what I need to feel happy, okay? So that's why you have people who are assholes naturally because what they need is to crumble on people. They need to feel like they are dominating the agenda. They are forcing their belief on other people. It makes them feel strong while others, they want to make other people feel good and other, they want to people to like them. And when you need people to like you, you will look like the perennial good guy because you will act in a way that you will be like, because that's what you need. But every single decision you make, if you act according to what you really want to do, 
It's all self-centered, always. And you need to accept that. It's fine. We are in this life to better our own life. If you can act in a way to make others' lives better, it's even better. But everybody's self-centered. And I'll give you an example. Uh, anyone who's been following my social media, I like sharing other people's things on my social media. I like sharing other coaches, their work. And recently, you know, I found it hasn't been as easy to come up with a really great quote to post on Instagram, you know, on a daily basis. I've been doing that for a while now and I've grown my following from 3,000 people January of last year and I'm on the doorstep of 15,000 right now. You know, it's grown very, very rapidly. People have seen that and it's organic. It's all real people. The first 20,000 are the hardest. I believe it. And I, I think it's going to take of the, off. Because of the algorithm. Yep. And I will, you know, reach 20,000 by the end of this year. I'm sure of it. Yeah. And so in recent days, I've, you know, I've found a couple of things. Brian Cron wrote something and I was like, oh man, this is super good. So, and then Brian sent me a picture of how like some guy had uh, plagiarized it, cut his name off it. And, yeah. and, and actually, no, had rewritten a bit of it, but used most of it. And it was just obvious plagiarism. And anyway, so I sh- I went in and, and commented on this thing and I said, hey, man, you know, you would have gotten a lot further if you'd actually credited Brian, you know, look like a rock star, you know, you would have benefited from the, the, the post, but, you know, having an abundance mindset and the guy was just like, oh, Brian, like Brian Cron owns blah, blah, blah type of advice or whatever. He clearly used half of his words anyway. So. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, cool. And then he deleted everything. So all, right, all the comments, but kept the post up. So I shared the two pictures and I asked him like, hey guys, is this plagiarism? What do you think? Right? I, just, I, I was stirring shit, of course. And of course people jumped in and this guy got torn apart. And then Jonathan Goodman messaged me. He's like, yeah, I know this guy. And Jonathan basically said, listen, I, you know, I sent him a message. I told him straight up. And, and this guy acknowledged this, that John had urged him to apologize and own it and what have you. It was a half-assed apology. So fine, whatever. And then a bunch of other people came forward and just ripped this guy apart. Apparently, and I believe this, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And a lot of people had a lot of really nasty criticism for this guy. This guy now is on my radar. I'll never support him ever. Meanwhile, I turned around and shared this post on my Instagram it blows up because I shared the Facebook post, Sam Spinelli, who's got 300,000 followers. He shared it mentioning the plagiarism. Nick Shaw of Renaissance Periodization shared it, seeing the Facebook post. And all of a sudden Brian's following spiked about four or 500 people, which was a little like just, just shy of 10% of his current following. He's a guy who really deserves more. I shared something of Jordan Syatz recently or Danny Matranga. And some of those posts, we got over a thousand shares on my wall. It drives more people to Danny, but guess what? It feels good to get these metrics going off on my end. Instagram is an algorithm. If you continuously share stuff that gets shared, saved, and interacted with aggressively, it improves your performance across the board. So I'm using other people's stuff, crediting them, supporting them, scoring points with them, looking like a fucking rock star, abundance mindset, and I'm still benefiting immensely from it. And I'm very open about that fact. I posted about that yesterday. So no... I don't need no bones about even try to hide that fact, but I still love supporting and sharing other people and their stuff. Every podcast I bring someone up, I could just do a solo podcast, you know, care about the sound of my own voice and just talk away at people. I would rather have you on here and let you do 70, 75% of the talking, but I have to, we have to cut this one off. So <laughs> let's make sure we could talk for another hour easy. I'll bring you back and I'll, I'll, I'll always bring you back, but uh, just remind people where to find you on social media to find more of your stuff. 
Uh, well, it's just basically the word is Tib Army. Uh, so on Instagram, on Facebook, on Facebook, I do have my private account, which is just Christian Thibodeau. It's like a, a shirtless picture of myself, which is, well, I never, like, literally, I'm shirtless, like, one day every four years. I'm, like, even my wife doesn't see me shirtless. I always train the football jersey. I'm always wearing a football jersey. So, it, dude. Before I did a sorry about that, but I did a podcast uh, with, with a uh, like a for a, a photographer uh, podcast, and I mentioned how I would actually like want to cancel every single photo shoot I have ever did the day before. I mean, I remember my my business partner would have to like force me to be there. I mean, I don't want to do that shit. And I'm posting the picture just because, uh, well, you know what, sex sells on Instagram and and Facebook, so. But whatever, but that's like so far from my personality, it's not even funny. Uh, and I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot because if a girl wants to meet me because of that picture, she will be sadly disappointed. <laughs> Again, my wife doesn't speak English, which is good. <laughs> uh, English is overrated anyway. You don't really need it in today's society. You don't need English to function in this world, right? Anyway, so yeah, uh, it's Tib Army. Uh, also, uh, have a YouTube channel and that really pisses me off actually because I'm dude I'm posting like honest to God like seminar wordy videos like it's full of information but it looks like maybe they're a bit too long some are like 45 minutes some are 20 minutes uh, but honest to God, I have, I'm having a hard time getting the, the views I think it deserves because it's cool material. But even when I look at, at Mike, Mike Israel, the stuff he puts out is truly amazing. It's, it's, it's seminar worthy, but people prefer to flock to guys like Greg Doucette, which is, he has his brand, you know, guys like that, right? Yeah. I'm not even going to say my thoughts publicly on, on that. We'll leave it at there. Well, he's the only Canadian with a more annoying voice than me. So that's like, I kind of like him for that. So it, <laughs> it makes me look a bit better. I, I think I enjoyed Mike Mike destroying him in a debate. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I go find Christian on uh, Tib Army. And, you know, that that should take you to things like your YouTube and your other work. And, and I know that... And then you're always writing for stuff for T Nation. So, you know, I, I think a lot of listeners are are plugged into a lot of these things anyway, but go dig a little deeper into what Christian's been doing. He's been doing it for a long time. He knows what he's talking about. He's had a tremendous amount of success for a very long time with a lot of people. He's earned, you've earned the position you have in the industry and you're someone I hold in great esteem and respect. So I'm grateful for an hour of your time on a weekend. So I'm going to say goodbye to our listeners and I'll let you If I can have two things about that. Sure. I'm I'm weird because I do need respect, but I hate compliments. So I might not come back to your podcast if you keep complimenting. Uh, <laughs> Fair. Other thing, dude. I, I was and regarding the articles. I mean, I, I, it's not like to toot my own horn, but I've I've written so many articles. I've actually recently went back to articles I wrote 20 years ago, and dude, I learned something new. <laughs> I was I was talking about. Uh, do you know Ben Prentice? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I don't know. Ben Prentice is in the, is Connecticut or New York, and he, he trains tons of NHL players like Max Max Pacioretty, Lafreniere, who plays for the Rangers. Uh, he actually trains a lot of guys. I trained myself prior to that. Anyway, 
And uh, I, I gave, a, I, every year I give a seminar to a staff and I present my system, which is for athletes, it's a whole body approach. So uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whole body. Then on Saturday, we do some uh, like weak points work, low stress training. And it's always, I on, on Monday, it's an eccentric emphasis. On Wednesday, it's an isometric statodynamic emphasis. And on, on Friday, it's regular lifting. And you ask me, well, why do you put the eccentric day first? And honestly, I've always done that ever since I've trained athletes and I couldn't give an answer. And recently I found an article I wrote 18 years ago that explained my rationale for putting the eccentric day first. I just sent him the article and said, that, I, that was a pretty good article. I, I had no idea whether that I wrote it, but actually like, it, it like made me remember stuff I know. It's well, let's just put it this way to anyone listening. Christian has forgot more things about training Literally. than you have yet learned yourself <laughs> and it is it's, it's ridiculous just how much you look like vid diesel right now laughing there that is fantastic but I mean, Dude, that's the only that. reason i was able to score my wife like literally the only reason i mean I, again my first girlfriend at 22 i was actually and it, when it happened okay i was in a movie theater and i was watching the movie pitch black like vin diesel love, movie. love it oh it's awesome and i had like like big crusty the clown hair right and my friend turned to me and said, dude, he fucking looks like you. So you shave your head. I shaved my head the really next day. And within three days, I had a girlfriend. There you <laughs> go. There you go. All right. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening, guys. Please go follow and check out what Christian's doing. Uh, you know, and if you haven't yet, God, how many times do I have to ask to give me a, a good review on, uh, on podcast apps, right? On, on iTunes. Go do that for me, um, unless you're driving. And if you're not following me on social media, I want you to come check what, I, out what I'm doing. I want you to message me. Uh, I've gotten people messaging me saying, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast forever. And I just started following you. I'm like, fuck, where you been? But uh, I'm grateful to have you guys all here. And I'm going to pull out another great guest for next week. And uh, thanks and stay tuned.